Mia Dan, your host for today's podcast. I'm the CEO of Lighthouse 3 and founder of Women in AI Ethics, a global initiative to increase representation and recognition of women in the space. In today's podcast episode, we have invited Phaedra Boinodiris, Trust and AI Business Transformation Leader at IBM, to discuss how large organizations can adopt and scale AI safely and ethically. Welcome, Phaedra. Thank you so much for having me, Mia. It's a pleasure for me to be here. I'm so excited to have you today. Um, your background is exceptionally impressive. You have focused on inclusion in technology since 1999. You have founded or acted as an advisor for multiple digital inclusion programs. You have co-founded WomenGamers.com, uh, which offers the first national scholarship program for women to pursue degrees in game design and development. All really impressive things. So how did you get to IBM from gaming? It's kind of a long story, but it, in essence, um, as you mentioned, my, my sister and I co-founded this uh, portal, web portal, back in the 90s, focused on women who play computer and console games. And we wrote... Um, uh, game reviews, articles about the industry, and eventually started a scholarship, as you had mentioned. And there was a big shift in the games industry where suddenly uh, game publishers were talking about going after the mass market um, instead of the hardcore gamer. There was a lot of conversations about who the casual gamer was. And I decided that I wanted to go back to business school to pursue an MBA so I could learn more about what it would take to go after venture capital funding and, and launching our own game studio. And while I was there, I ended up launching a number of different uh, case competitions. This is when a company will go to a business school with a real life challenge and the students have overnight to come up with an idea and then pitch it the next morning. So I was on my sixth one and IBM was sponsoring a challenge around business process management. They were looking for innovative ways of explaining business process management to non-technical execs. And I had no idea what business process management was at the time, but they, they handed each team a stack of papers about three inches thick. And they said, read these case studies. And as I'm reading them, I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is a strategy game, right? You could tweak different business rules, seeing how it affects your broader ecosystem. You could have competing models. You could have a multiplayer version for a model where, where people could collaborate. So I uh, ended up pitching this, this idea. And unbeknownst to me, one of the VPs for strategy at the time was a judge. And she pulled me aside and said, hey, I want to fund this idea right now. Can you make it for me in three months? And so uh, <laughs> it was kind of an interesting segue into the world of IBM. Um, I ended up interning at IBM while I was getting my MBA full time and then uh, was asked to lead our first serious games program, which is when you use video games to do something than, other than entertainment. And it was actually through that work and actually through my, my volunteer work as well, because um, I've, I've always been very invested in um, volunteering in the K through 12 space, the, it, what really interested me was the intersection of artificial intelligence and play. 
And so I, I did a, a lot of work, began to do more and more work with artificial intelligence in games. And um, it was tremendously fun. And actually, that was my segue into my current role now as um, IBM Consulting's trustworthy AI leader. That is such an incredible story from a business school case study to leading AI business transformation at yeah, like a multi-national it, company. It, it, Brilliant. It, it was interesting. And, and really, some of the, the catalysts that spurred me to be more focused on AI ethics was that um, several years ago, I just got more and more horrified by what I was reading in the news and just thought, that's it. I want to learn everything I possibly can about this space. And um, I found an incredible PhD program. I'm currently about halfway through my, my dissertation. And it, it has really opened the aperture for me to, to be able to network with like-minded people and to really be looking at this space holistically. So it's, it's something that I'm, I'm truly passionate about. That's fantastic because it's such a critical area um, that is and should be on everybody's mind, especially in the businesses and the tech world who are deploying a lot of these technologies and also at companies who are adopting these technologies to serve their uh, customer base. So um, in your current role, you are uh, IBM's trust in AI business transformation leader, which is a client facing role. So what is the main concern that you're hearing from your clients and what is keeping you up at night? Well, the there's three things really that keep me up at night. Well, actually, there's many more things that keep me up at night. <laughs> the three that I'm going to tell you are, uh, first, climate change for certain keeps me up at night, uh, I think, as it does many people. The second thing that keeps me up at night is, is really that so many people have no idea that an AI model is being used to make decisions that could directly affect them, whether it's you know, what percentage interest rate they get on their loan or whether their kid gets into that college that they applied for or, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And the third thing that keeps me up at night is that I'm worried that people may assume that because it's, you know, this AI model that doesn't have, quote unquote, fallible human bias and, uh, that somehow the results, the decisions made by the AI will somehow be morally or ethically squeaky clean. They, they're just assuming that it's, it's not a person. And so I don't need to worry about it. So that, that worries me too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's definitely an interesting space. I, I find there's a lot of conversation with our customers about things like concern over things like, um, you know, litigation. Um, they're very worried about whether their model has bias and how they might be able to scale AI. But I would think even more importantly, how do they get people to trust the results of their model? And what I found is uh, that really when, when studying the space, I think there's a misconception that this is a technological challenge 
when in fact it's really a socio-technological challenge. And because it's a socio-technological challenge, it must, must, must be addressed holistically. I love the points you've made. So one is, it's uh, I think the issues that you mentioned are keeping a lot of us up at night. So I'm glad <laughs> there are smart people out there who are also looking at the space and also asking the right questions and um, also glad to hear that there are actually organizations and folks like yourself who are paying attention to how um, how we can plan for a more um, ethical future. So uh, that said, you made a very key point here. You said the socio-technological uh, challenge. Uh, so when you work with these companies and your clients, like what is the cultural shift, in your opinion, that's needed at large companies as they're deploying these um, technologies? How can they be more thoughtful and uh, make sure that what they're deploying out there is ethical? Well, when addressing any kind of a socio-technological challenge, it you must approach it holistically, which means people process tools, right? So we can't just imagine that by installing XYZ tool that suddenly you can be rest assured that if everything is going to be squeaky clean and okay, you really have to consider the challenge holistically. So I mentioned earlier conversations with customers that are very concerned, for example, about the, you know, the, the risk of uh, being out of compliance, right? The risk of litigation. And oftentimes, these same organizations, uh, when you scratch the surface and you have conversations about their organization's culture, they will be the first to tell you, yeah, we also have troubles attracting women and minorities. We look at our teams of data scientists, and they all look quite uniform. There isn't diversity. There isn't inclusivity. Um, so I think also, you know, when thinking about the culture of an organization and having conversations about diversity, equity, inclusivity, it's important to think not only about gender, about race and ethnicity, but also what people's worldviews are, what kinds of skill sets they bring, uh, because this is not just a challenge for data scientists alone. Like when people reference practitioners, it has to be a much wider <laughs> set of roles, set of skill sets that need to come together and work together to, to solve these, these kinds of challenges. So one of the things that we've done to do this, to get uncommon stakeholders to work together to, to really tackle some of the larger challenges around AI ethics includes adopting frameworks for systemic empathy, right? How do you get people to think systemically about empathy? Given a particular use case, how do you imagine, you know, based on not just who's in the room, but who's not in the room, who's not being considered as an end audience, what are potential primary, secondary, and tertiary effects? Which of these effects might be harmful? Given the values of that particular organization, what are the rights of the end users? And how would you mitigate in order to protect those individuals? So it's, it, again, that kind of framework is something that we should be introducing not just within 
professional environments, certainly not just for data scientists, but again, across roles, across different practitioners coming together to work on this. The more diverse the group, the better. But also, this is something we need to be introducing to people younger in their careers, earlier on in their careers, right? To, you know, higher ed institutions, to high school kids, to middle school kids, because we're not talking about coding. We're just talking about getting people to consider what is what is apparent, what is not apparent, and how do you design in order to protect people from potential harm? I couldn't agree more on every point that you made and a lot of great points there to unpack. Um, so one is this inclusion of, as you said, uncommon voices or just just even highlighting how important it is to have um diverse voices in this conversation is so critical. And you said systemic empathy, which I'm so intrigued by that. Um, And your point about making sure that we start early rather than later and trying to catch it later in people's careers, we should definitely be starting at the beginning as they're getting trained, as they enter the workforce. So uh, like 100% agree with everything you said. Um, So let's just talk about two points that you've raised here. One is about, let's start with the first one, which is about the culture of engineering at companies, right? So culture change is challenging. You have a hard job. So how do you ensure that the engineering team sticks to this culture change that you've identified? And also, are there any specific governance tools that you use for designing and deploying AI responsibly? Yeah, the the hard part is changing people's behaviors. <laughs> that has always been the hard part. <laughs> uh, it's it's not as much the the tooling and the tech as it is understanding people and getting people to recognize the value of other people. Right, um, this is what is hard. So some examples of things that we've been doing apart from messaging on the importance of diversity, equity, inclusivity, really putting forth uh, efforts to measure the level of diversity, inclusivity on these teams. How many women are on your data science team? How many minorities are on your teams of data scientists? What does the the makeup of your ethics board, your AI ethics board look like? Right? How many women? How many minorities? How many neurodiverse people, et cetera, et cetera, age, et cetera. Um, but then uh, another thing that we've done in addition to that focus has been we've crafted something called the Scaled Data Science Method, which is an extension of CRISP-DM that in essence offers governance, AI governance across the AI model lifecycle. So imagine, I mentioned all these roles, right? The fact that You've got to have data scientists working with industrial organizational psychologists, working with designers, working with communication specialists, working with dot, 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 all together on the AI model lifecycle to make sure that indeed you're curating it responsibly. So what this tool, the scale data science method tool does is it merges data science best practices with project management, with design frameworks, with AI governance, like all across the board, all of this content together, where it basically demonstrates like where you are in the life cycle, where is your team? who you need to, need to be talking to, what are the requirements, what documentation do you need, what you need to plan for next, and who, who you need to, to do this with. So it's kind of like a, um, 
it's kind of like a Weight Watchers coach <laughs> that basically says, you know, instead of write this in your food diary today and make sure you weigh yourself, it's stating instead, like, here's where you are on the AI model life cycle. Here's the things you need to do. And here's the dashboard so that you can, you can see it together and work together as a team. Think about, you know, constant reminders to work together with different kinds of people at different stages of the AI model lifecycle to make sure that indeed you're curating it responsibly. Oh, I love the analogy, but I love this focus on, um, on multidisciplinary approach to AI model development, deployment, couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, it's so it critical. has to be holistic. Yes. You're, you're right. Absolutely. Very well said. And you're actually giving me goosebumps as I hear you talk because we hear a lot of talk in this, this space about how we need to include uh, diversity. So your approach, it sounds really comprehensive and not just uh, you're not just walking the talk, but you're walking the walk with tools and tracking and dashboards so you can actually, folks can see for themselves how they the measure of their success and progress. So speaking of progress, there is one dimension of diversity that is consistently talked about, and yet the progress has been very slow, and that is gender diversity within the tech industry. You have been at the forefront of this issue. You have done, you're a pioneer in this space. Uh, you won the United Nations Women, Women of Influence in STEM and Inclusivity Award in 2019. I would love your thoughts on like what is the most effective way for us to increase the inclusion of women in this industry where there's a lot of talk, but has the progress has been really dismal just based on the statistics and the inclusion um, of women in the space. Oh, I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> and, you know, I, I myself have, have gone on a journey where I've had different ideas and I've tried different things, but my, I'll tell you what my latest version of my, my approach is. And that really is measuring what we want to see more of. So, uh, and, and also rendering it transparent, measuring what we want to see more of, and then rendering it transparent. So as an example, there has been just in this past year alone, some absolutely shocking, maybe not shocking, but horrifying research studies about entrepreneurs. And that the, the I think this, this came out of, I want to say it was Stanford, um, the number one factor for uh, a venture capitalist group to fund an entrepreneur is not whether they successfully launched other businesses. It's not what their idea was or is for their business. It is their gender. <laughs> that is the number one determining factor of whether an entrepreneur gets funded. And, you know, thinking about this and, and again, about previous renditions of like, well, you can't be what you can't see and there needs to be an onus on women getting out there more and doing this and doing that. Instead, I'm starting to, to pivot to, to saying, yes, and we need to measure, again, how many women, how many minorities, how many historically underrepresented groups are on these teams, are getting funded as entrepreneurs, are XYZ, are on the AI ethics board, et cetera, such that 
when efforts like um, the ESG frameworks get rolled out, that those kinds of measurements can be rendered transparent to potential shareholders. So if I'm looking to buy shares of stock in an interesting con- uh, company that I want to make sure is, is doing good in the world, whether it is you know with respect to society, whether it's with respect to the planet, then those measurements are really rendered transparent. And I, as a potential shareholder, could be able to, to find these groups quicker. You see what I'm saying? And so I think there, there, I'm hopeful there is a pivot for these ESG frameworks to start to do this also with the use of artificial intelligence and measuring things like DEI uh, within those groups of, of technologists, technologists curating the, this technology. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's such a smart approach uh, because there is part of it is cultural shift, like changing people's attitudes towards inclusion of women and not treating them as lesser than. But then there's also this, um, I have an AI researcher, my little cat, who's always chiming in with his opinions. (laughs) (laughs) We feel very strongly about this issue, as you can tell. (laughs) Um, So I I like what you... um, Said about having measurable data and providing and using that for decision making, because yes. what we use to make decisions, what we see used to make decisions, or how we measure success needs to change, and that will only change if we um, start including those metrics and that data to include DEI metrics and make those but actionable. That's very, what I very think. Cool. And if we could render it transparent to the market, and then let the market decide, you know what I mean, like. Mm-hmm. By giving giving we as consumers information about who is doing this kind of measurement and who is curating AI responsibly and that has gone through the governance and AI audits, et cetera, et cetera, for things like fairness and explainability, robustness, transparency, ensuring people's data privacy, right, the five pillars, then we have, we're more empowered to make better decisions as consumers on who we want to engage with. Absolutely. Let people put the money where their values are, right? All they right. like present it to them and say, this is the data. These are the companies doing really well. And these are the ones who actually are like walking the walk. So, and then the mar- let the market decide where they want to put that, um, their um, funds and money. So absolutely agree. Um, and then, so lately we've seen a lot of headlines um, about, just ethical transgressions in the big tech and uh, there's this level of cynicism that's accompanying a lot of um, the news that comes out of uh, companies today and for a good reason because we're seeing like so many revelations coming out about what companies are doing behind the scenes and just um, so there's a certain amount of doom and gloom um, in the industry and we we just seems like a very dystopian um, well, that we're living right now. So for folks who feel like they, they're powerless and they're not in these um, rooms, right, where the decisions are being made, if they really care about ethics and inclusion in AI, how would you suggest that they get involved and how can they make a difference in their individual roles? Well, um, 
one thing that I really advocate for people who don't feel like they're in positions of power to do is to double down on education, to educate others as much as possible. Because I find it really astonishing and heartbreaking that so few people are able to get this kind of learning today. Typically, it's those either professionals or higher ed students who self-categorize as coders or data scientists or machine learning scientists who get to take classes in things like data ethics or AI and ethics, right? Um, And I find it crazy. I mean, again, given how AI, again, is being used to make decisions that directly affect every one of that us, like, why is this knowledge not being proliferated to a lot more different kinds of people, no matter what you want to be when you grow up, if you want to be a fashion designer, if you want to be the head of agriculture for your region, artificial intelligence is going to make tremendous impact, is making tremendous impact in those spaces. So it's important to understand the fundamentals of things like the fairness of algorithms, explainability, robustness, et cetera, et cetera. So advocating to to get this kind of knowledge into more and more hands, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, into younger people's hands, like, you know, really um, advocating for championing for this kind of education to be included in high schools, in middle schools, you know, go back and, and give talks there or invite others to give talks to your, your alma mater or the high school or middle school that you graduated from or that your kids go to. Um, as an aside, I'm, I'm, an advi- I'm on the advisory board for a local children's science museum here in my area. And I was invited to, um, to demo at a, lo- at a kids code event And I knew I wanted to introduce younger kids to the idea of, you know, explainable and transparent AI, right? Just like, could I find a fun way of introducing this to kids? So I worked with a local high school and we co-created an AI-powered Harry Potter sorting hat. So, you know, from the book where you put you put the sorting hat on your head, right, in the world of yeah. Harry Potter, and it sort of uses magic to determine which Hogwarts house you were on. And it, the lips from the hat sort of move and it belts out in its voice, right? Ravenclaw or uh, Hufflepuff, right? So yeah. we, we made this hat, Mia, like we, we made this hat where in essence, you uh, put the hat on your head. And of course, in lieu of magic, we had a microphone embedded in the hat. We had a, um, uh, a it was hooked up to a laptop, which had a, uh, a processor and the ability to, to curate and categorize what people said into different Hogwarts houses. <laughs> like they would say a sentence and um it would, and that you would use NLP to determine again which which Hogwarts house using the voice from the movie. So I rigged the hat such that if any of my kids were to put the hat on their heads and I had guessed what they would say, it would put them into Slytherin, which I knew they would despise. <laughs> right. So my 15 year old daughter, she was 15 at the time. She gets up on stage with me and she puts the hat on her head and. 
she says something that I guess she would say. And immediately the hat says, Slytherin. And she turns to me and she crosses her arms and she glares at me and she says, mom, you rigged the hat. And I said, let this be a lesson to you. Never trust an AI that's not fully transparent and explainable. You should be able to ask the hat. What data did you use about me in order to put me into this Hogwarts house? And, you know, it's a funny thing about the use of pop culture as a means to teach some of these ideas, some of these more salient ideas around things like trust and transparency, explainability for AI models. And I think, you know, borrowing something from the world of Harry Potter certainly uh, resonated with with her and with the, uh, the younger audience members there at the time. But anyway, that, that's my food for thought. I love it. Oh, my word, how creative, how smart. This is something that's going to stay with these children for the rest of their lives. What an effective <laughs> so. way to convey this because you're so right. Because so much of our AI discourse is just these technical this technical jargon. And to your point about why is this not more uh, proliferated, like the education, because AI does impact all of us, and yet the people making decisions, people who are in the know, are just a handful of like technical folks. So that needs to definitely change. And I love your approach of let's start young, let's like distribute information in whatever form that they're able to consume it and that sticks with them. I love every part of this, and that story is going to stick with me for a long time. As great example. I've just started penning a, a kid's book on this subject of AI ethics. So I have no idea what I'm doing in full transparency, Mia. But again, I, I think it's important. It's It's been super fun just thinking about, you know, metaphors and how to introduce these concepts in a really fun way. So wish me luck. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait to read it. <laughs> This is like so smart. Uh, good luck. Not that you need any luck. Uh, your approach to like just AI ethics and the way of disseminating it, making it sticks in with individuals, young people, as well as within a large corporation has been so inspiring. Fedra, I have to say, I've enjoyed this conversation with you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time, coming and sharing all your wisdom and like your approach with us. I appreciate that, Mia. Any any chance I can get in order to to really be able to advocate for more knowledge in this space, especially again with respect to the the more holistic approach and thinking about like who gets to work on this, <laughs> like who gets to to think about this and uh, just, again, the holistic approach and the, just thinking about it with respect to socio-technological challenge, I think is, has really made a difference to me with respect to how I think about this space. So I thank you for allowing me to share. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I do feel that the future of AI is needs to be more diverse, needs to be more inclusive. And to your point, it needs to have be accessible yeah. to a broad range of folks than it is today. So thank you so much again for joining us. My pleasure, my pleasure.